1: Debating Israel's response with Dave Smith and Ben Dominich. It's the Will Kane Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up? And welcome to a special edition of the Will Cain Podcast. A Thursday edition of the Will Cain Podcast. Earlier this week, I saw a tweet from... Dave Smith. Dave Smith is the host of the Part of the Problem podcast. He has been a regular guest on the Joe Rogan podcast. He's also a co-host of the podcast Legion of Skanks. Dave Smith has a 30-minute special up on YouTube that you can check out, along with all of his podcasts, most notably Part of the Problem. And he tweeted the following. DeSantis has bent over backwards to not take a position on Ukraine for the last year, but it takes him less than 24 hours to be all in on Israel's war. Screw this guy. In response to that tweet, I saw Ben Dominich, who publishes the Transom newsletter, is editor-at-large at The Spectator, and a Fox News contributor hosts the Ben Domenech podcast, say, Wow, Dave, that's a take. To that, Dave Smith responded, happy to discuss any time. So we invited both Dave Smith and Ben Dominich to come here to the Will Cain podcast to have a conversation about the appropriate response to the terrorist attacks in southern Israel by Israel. I find that today there's far too much screaming and negativity at one another on Twitter. It is the public sphere, but it isn't really the way people behave in real life. So I want to begin to have more open debates right here on the Will Came podcast. And these two men were kind enough and honorable enough to say, yes, let's have that conversation. We go into the history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We talk about America's role on the world stage. And I don't know that this debate will help resolve the question, but I hope that it will help enlighten every single one of us. At a minimum, I think it's very healthy. So again, check out the Part of the Problem podcast by Dave Smith. Check out the Ben Dominich podcast and the Transom newsletter by Ben Dominich, and I hope you enjoy this debate on the appropriate response from Israel. Shipping can make or break
0: a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation.
1: So first, Dave Smith, Ben Dominich, I'd love to start with how appreciative I am of both of you gentlemen deciding and agreeing to do this. I think that here in America, we are living in a world where we are constantly inundated with one-sidedism and propaganda, and the idea of an exchange of ideas is so rare, and I just appreciate you guys... Doing this here with me today, I think it's not only going to be uh, entertaining. I think it's incredibly important. So I texted both of you guys. I reached out to both of you guys. I said, "Let's start with a very simple proposition, and we'll go as wide and broad as we possibly can in your two disagreement." But let us start with this: What should be the appropriate response by Israel? Ben, I'll put that to you. What do you expect? What do you think is right in a response from Israel?
0: Well, I think, unfortunately, uh, given the level of damage, the level of violence uh, that was uh, precipitated against the people of Israel uh, in a surprise attack that was designed to eradicate as many Jews as possible, I think that the only response that we can expect from Israel is one that is going to essentially uh, destroy the entire leadership of Hamas and their capability uh, to do this type of action again. And in this case, I think that that's going to involve, you know, incredible loss of life uh, within uh, Gaza. But it's also going to be something that I think uh, is designed on making sure uh, that nothing like this ever happens again. And, you know, it, unfo- unfortunately, that involves death. It involves uh, the, the dirty and bloody work of military action. I think they're justified in that. And I think that, you know, to the degree that, uh, you know, this is not part of your question, but it, to the degree that you the U.S. is involved, uh, I think we should support them in their efforts uh, to the degree that they need any of the support. I think that we're already doing that uh, to a certain extent and give them the resources, the intelligence resources particularly, that they may need in order to uh, exact the kind of punishment on the leaders in Gaza and those who planned this attack uh, and anybody really who is in a position of military authority there.
1: All right, Dave. What's the appropriate response from Israel?
2: Well, I would I would start by saying that I I agree with Ben of what the likely response is uh, is going to be from Israel, and of course we're already living through this response right now. I mean, I think uh, all water, food, and medical supplies has been cut off to uh, to Gaza, including one million uh, children who live there. So I think that. From from my perspective, and this is why I, I am happy that you're hosting us and having this conversation. I think in moments like this, what you want is cooler heads to prevail, which is easier said than done, because, of course, this attack was so horrific. Um, and of course, we can think back to 9-11 when cooler heads did not prevail in America. And in fact, we were all told now is not the time to question how there was this monumental failure in, uh, in leadership. So um, I I would like to see a response where as few innocent um, civilians die as possible. Um, I, I would like to see Netanyahu drummed out of public life and live alone in shame for the rest of his days far away from power for pursuing a strategy of funding and supporting Hamas for years, which is net, there was a, an article in um, the Times of Israel uh, today. Uh, talking about how this Netanyahu plan is completely blown up in his face now. Um, And not only that, he propped up Hamas for years as a specific strategy in order to um, divide the Palestinian Authority and assure that Palestine would never get um, international recognition because nobody's going to make Hamas an official state ever. Um, So and then also failing to defend his people. Um, so I it, it's a horrific failure on many levels. I'd like to know a lot more about what actually happened here. I think this was one of the problems immediately following 9-11 as well is that there was no effort to actually figure out how there was such a monumental failure, who exactly was is, is involved in this you know, 15 years later, we learned that actually high level members of the Saudi government were somewhat involved in 9-11. And that hasn't stopped us from funding them and propping them up ever since. So how exactly did the most militarized, the most prepared country in the world have hours of no response time to this horrific uh, uh, terrorist uh, atrocity? I'd like to find out some more about that. And I would just hate for the response to be, which I think it is going to be, something that just continues this cycle, and I believe is putting Israel at, at greater risk than they've ever been, um, well, at least in my lifetime. I'm can, 40. Can, I,
0: can I speak to a couple of things you just said there, Dave? So first off, I think we're agreed on the intelligence aspect of this. Obviously, this failure is something that needs to be investigated and can't be ignored. Um, Just as with 9-11, the intelligence services did their best to pretend like they did not fail, to pretend that uh, there was no way they could have known what was going to happen and to basically just kick the can down the road until the point where uh, everyone who was involved was retired out of work uh, and, you know, working and consulting for people for (laughs) millions of dollars, uh, you know, as opposed to in any kind of uh, state where they could uh, actually have some consequences for their failure. failure. You know, that's something that's very important, you know, and it's not just a failure of Israel. I would say it's a failure of European intelligence. It's a failure of American intelligence. And I think that part of that, Ayan Her Ali had a great uh, piece the other day at Unheard, where she talked about the distraction of the West, that the West hasn't been paying enough attention to this. And that includes, obviously, the political upheaval that we've seen happen in Israel over the past year. But I think it also extends the political upheaval in Britain and in America and elsewhere. So that's one thing where we agree on. The, the difference, I think, is is this. When when you talk about propping up Hamas, you can you know put that at the at the feet of Netanyahu as you as you did, uh, but the simple fact is that you know Hamas is the choice of the people there and has been that choice since two thousand six two thousand seven, uh, and uh, and it really you know has uh, been a terrible situation for the people in Gaza for the two million people who are there. You know, it's it's been something that has uh, kept them in a, a state, frankly, of of not just overpopulation, but, you know, incapacity in, in when it comes to uh, actually being a prosperous region. And that's also in the interests of those who hate Israel in the region. They do not give their money to it. It's in, they're entirely dependent on Israel for all of the different resources that you that you just talked about. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, if you you have to think about this as sort of neighbors, if if your neighbor, someone who you have, uh, you know, had this contentious relationship with, you know, comes over while you are having a party in your backyard uh, and kills your children and rapes uh, the women there uh, and, uh, you know, uh, shoots rockets from their house at you you're going to have to destroy their house. And if there are other innocent people who are inside, that's gonna be a problem, a moral problem, an ethical problem, but you're not going to hesitate because you cannot abide a neighbor that would engage in such behavior.
1: Go yeah. ahead, Dave.
2: Uh, um, well, listen, I'm, a, I'm, I'm Jewish and uh, my grandfather was a Holocaust survivor and my mother lived in a kibbutz in Israel for many years. So believe me, I'm, I'm well-versed in the Israeli perspective. Uh, on all of this the the issue is that it always as i think you just kind of demonstrated relies on telling half of the story and framing things in ways where the 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 there's these strategic kind of framing issues So like the question is always, does Israel have a right to defend itself? What should the Israeli response to this be? The question is never asked, does Palestine have a right to defend themselves? What should the Palestinian response be to the wildly disproportionate number of innocent Palestinian civilians who have been killed? That question kind of never comes up. So your analogy where there's just these two neighbors and for some reason, I guess they're possessed by evil. One of the neighbors keeps on being a jerk to the other neighbor is, let's just say, incomplete at best. And what actually is happening would be more like you won a war against your neighbor in 1967 and decided that you have the right to occupy your neighbor forever. And now in these desperate, uh, in the most desperate circumstances. Yes, Hamas did narrowly win one election while you were helping them win that election, you know, and then now a million children who didn't vote in this election at all. This is the election of of uh, almost 20 years ago um, that and and there's just a million kids there and all of their rights are supposed to be completely suspended. We are supposed to say that because, you know, like just, just saying this argument that they won an election, therefore their civilians are, are fair game is just saying the identical argument that Osama bin Laden made. And well, that, I think it was wrong when he made it. And I think it's wrong when other people make it that somehow civilians are Responsible for everything their government does that's bad because there was there were elections. Well, really quick, that's, Ben.
1: That's not. Hold on, just one mind. moment, Ben. I want to ta- I want to pause because we're going to spiral, and I don't, I don't mean that in a negative context. We're going to spiral into history, and I want to do that here today. But I don't want to leave behind the points that have been made regarding our current debate and our current context. And Dave, you point out, we always ask the question from the Israeli perspective, half the story, what should be the response from Israel? But I think that's the appropriate question today, because it is in response to I think a universally condemned terrorist attack over the weekend. Now, you intellectually, Dave, want to pursue how we arrived at that moment, I think not only is that fair, but I want to make sure that happens here today. But I want to also complete the thoughts on the current political environment. Ben, Dave brings up what he hopes will come back to the military response, what he hopes will be a political response to this moment and the accountability for Netanyahu. And I see two sides to that, two issues we need to have a conversation about. And that is Netanyahu's embrace of Hamas over the last several years. But also, what looks to me, it's Almost too easy to explain away what happened as a failure. We're talking about the most militarized border in the planet, the most sophisticated intelligence agencies in the world, not just Israel, but as you pointed out, Ben, Europe and the United States. It is really hard for me to believe or understand or just wholeheartedly accept that this was simply a failure. I believe the attack went on for six hours before there was even a response from the Israelis. And that's just highly suspicious Ben and I'm not I'm not going down a conspiratorial rabbit hole, but if 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 Dave is right, that is a place we need to begin with accountability. Like, how do you explain that? I'm not sure failure does it justice.
0: Well, I'm not sure failure does it justice either. But one thing that I think we should keep in mind is, you know, we've lived through in these past several decades some of the biggest intelligence failures uh, that we've seen in terms of, you know, not just uh, uh, allowing attacks to happen, but also I would say. Uh, You know, I suspect at the end of the day, when we look into this, there will be there will have been awareness of the planning and the entertainment of the ideas of of this type of attack. Uh, But we've also seen, frankly, intelligence experts dismiss that ever happening. You know, the idea that, you know, something Well, they're talking about this, but they're never actually going to do it because of the consequences that would be involved. That's something that we see time and again and i think that that's something that we need to keep in mind uh, is a very real possibility here uh but it, but just to the political aspects of this you know i, I think that there is uh you know unfortunately uh, a reality that we have to face here that the 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 people who have wanted to have an appeasement po- uh, policy toward uh iran uh over the last you know uh, two decades plus have essentially been the people who've been in charge, even under the George W. Bush administration. You know, they made a real choice to, you know, look the other way when it came to uh, Iran and and all of their different activities. Uh, obviously, you know, that was the policy for eight years under the Obama administration. The same people are in charge under the Biden administration uh, today they've looked the other way at the same time that, you know, Iran has been, you know, the greatest funder of terror around the world. Uh, And that is, unfortunately, I think something that we have to grapple with, you know, on the American side politically. Uh, And, you know, frankly, the the only exception to this uh, is the four years under uh, Donald Trump, in which their attitude was uh, that they would regularly, you know, hem in uh, Iran and kill their military leadership. Uh, And we actually had a pretty quiet four years during that period. Uh, And so I think that the actual attitude that we should have is Americans toward this is more about, you know, what did we do on our part to elect leaders and to support a foreign policy blob that has essentially been in charge of our policy toward Iran uh, for most of the past 25 years?
1: Hey, Dave, I I don't want to take for Um, granted I'm going to let you jump in on anything you'd like, Dave, but also would like to push you in this direction. I don't want to take for granted that the audience knows as much as either of you two gentlemen. This is an incredibly like, confusing story for your average viewer and your average listener because of its cycle of violence that has gone on for 75 years longer, uh, just from a nation-state political perspective for 75 years. But you pointed out Netanyahu's embrace of Hamas, uh, Dave, is the other point of accountability for Netanyahu. And I'd love for you to kind of Put more flesh on those bones. I mean, Netanyahu, uh, Ben is right. I mean, Hamas was a democratically elected uh, governing body of Gaza once, um, and then and then embraced by Netanyahu in either a failed attempt or a straw man attempt to create a Palestinian a Palestinian state.
2: Yeah. Well, what Ben Ben, what Benjamin Netanyahu said to his own Likud party, like he doesn't talk this way uh, when he's talking to the international community. He says he believes in a two state solution and all of this. But what he told them was that the reason he was supporting um, Hamas was because this would undermine any um, and a- any viable pathway a two state solution. So Hamas first rose up um out of the uh the the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh they were kind of like the Palestinian version of the of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood and eventually kind of became their own thing, probably uh, substantially more radical um than even the Muslim Brotherhood and uh certainly um Every every bit as violent. I mean, they've been pretty damn violent in the past, but this was the biggest at- attack they've ever uh, uh, landed. But the plan was to divide the Palestinians in the West Bank from the Palestinians in Gaza, and also to put them in a situation where they would never get international legitimacy. I I do want to just um uh point uh, uh, talk about what, what Ben just brought up in terms of uh um this kind of placating of Iran. Um I I wish it had been the case that all the Americans did during the George W. Bush and Barack Obama years was look the other way. In fact, what what happened was that George W. Bush fought a war in Iraq that in effect was on Iran's behalf, taking out their their rival in the region and handing the country over to the Shiites. This is also why Obama then started funding a stupid war in Syria to try to kind of reverse um, the fact that all of these countries were now allied and Shiite dominated. And, you know, I don't know. I I know that it gets said a lot that Iran is the the world leading sponsor in in terrorism. I'm I I've never actually seen concrete um, like proof of this. And I would really I would be interested to to um to actually measure the amount of U.S. dollars that have gone like our tax dollars that have gone to supporting terrorism and the amount of Saudi dollars that have gone to supporting terrorism. I'm not even arguing that maybe Iran is still number one, but I think it's a much more competitive uh game than, than we give it credit for. But so it's not just that we um we I like- would
0: just I would just say you know, we're gonna we would have to get into an argument about the definition of terrorism at that point. And I think that that would get really off the rails. So, well, I think like, I think yeah. Al-Qaeda
2: in, in Iraq and ISIS in Syria would qualify. I think well, you would probably is, acknowledge is, that. Like,
0: does giving Bagram back, you know, sort of to them, does that account as like a gift in terms of funding terror? Because no, then, but you know, I mean <laughs> Operation Timbor
2: Sycamore, where we <laughs> sent billions of dollars in weapons into, uh, into Syria that all ended up li- – whether directly or not, all ended up in the hands of ISIS. ISIS was driving Toyota trucks around and it wasn't because yep. Iran gave them to him. You know what I mean? So and and <laughs> and in terms of Saudi Arabia is by far the biggest exporter of Wahhabism around the globe. Uh, these are our close partners over there who we have no problem doing business with. And of course, Donald Trump did just ratcheted that up and did even more business with the Saudis. Uh, both Obama and Donald Trump supported their Saudis in the brutal war in Yemen that lasted for eight years is just finally getting a little a little bit better now, um, so it's not as if like that. Um, my only point is that it's not as if we can say America has taken like a passive role in the Middle East over the last but I but uh, I simply I
0: simply I simply think that there's a difference between having uh, having mismanagement that ends up with uh, weapon systems and uh, and vehicles and other things uh, material end up in the hands of people who Americans if you know they were ever asked would not want to supply them that type of material I mean you know the think about you know Donald Trump raging against leaving behind you know uh, even one screw uh, one bolt uh, you know in, in Afghanistan that could be used uh, by those who are the enemies of America you know that kind of thing is not what Americans want it's not the policies that they favor. Uh, and I think that that's more an indictment of our military and of our intelligence services, uh, which you know, certainly uh, stand to be indicted. But just in terms of re, you know, returning to the, the questions related to Israel, uh, I, I think, Dave, that the problem that you face at this moment is that the American people have, for a while now, uh, been, you know, whatever you would like to call it, uh, war weary uh, in the wake of, you know, feeling like they, they tried to go in a different path under Obama and they didn't get out of him the the policies that they wanted toward the international uh, side of things, uh, that they they didn't really want uh, to uh, go down the kind of uh, droning path versus torture. They didn't think that that was the the, the situation that they were having to adjudicate. Uh, and then they went into they tried something very different with Donald Trump. And now that they've returned to kind of the mean returned to the foreign policy blob, I think that one of the things that's uh, very true in this moment is that whenever you see this type of activity, uh, this type of attack, this type of brutal uh, murder of people in Israel, uh, it. It completely ends any of this kind of uh, a populist uh, 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 sort of dancing with uh, rest, quote-unquote restraint or what its critics, its neocon critics would call isolationism or anything like that. I mean, what you saw Josh Hawley and people like that putting out over the past week – is you know essentially not we need to spend less money uh, you know on Ukraine and it's more we're going to spend all that money on Israel now instead, uh, and so I think that the the problem that you face is that the American people are just not attitudinally uh, in the mindset of you know we. Uh, shouldn't be backing what they view as our ally and what they view properly as our, our most important ally in the region in Israel when they undergo something like this. Uh, and Hold that, on,
1: but ben, it, ben, it I think there's all a, of those things back. I think your point on the hypocrisy of the American right or the new right in, in this moment is very well taken, and it's an accurate observation, Ben. But on the other hand, I still think there are some very principled people out there that ask what I think is the most important question in any one of these moments. How does whatever we choose to do serve America first? First, and I don't mean that as a a trite political, you know, slogan. It's it's to me, and maybe I'm tribal, and my tribe is America. But 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 to me, that's the first question, and you know, that's that's a question that personally I feel Ben was never sufficiently answered, has not been sufficiently answered when it comes to Ukraine. I'm not an isolationist, Ben. I need you to answer that Mm. question with clarity, and I don't think you can hide behind. And I'm not saying you're doing this, Ben, but I think this is a rhetorical trick that is done yeah. all too often. But hide behind, you know, accusations of anti-Semitism or whatever it may be to ask that very same question when it comes to Israel. How does our path serve America first?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, I first off, I would say America uh, is uh, you know, our interest in the world uh, should be one of, of global stability in which America is in charge. That's my own perspective. I don't like the idea of uh, a a situation where another world power is in charge. The fact that China, for instance, is engaged in the type of behavior that it is in, you know, I'm very much opposed to the idea that uh, having China in charge of global trade is something that would be good for America or good for the West. And so from that's just a very, I mean, it's a very basic kind of frame of things. But, you know, that's the thing that I think ought to be our priority when it comes to our alliances around the world, I think that we need to be a reliable partner. And particularly when it comes to a nation that has gone through its unique history, as Israel has, uh, in which they have, you know, so many foes that surround them and that, you know, are bent on either their eradication or their undoing. You know, it's not very complicated, I think, when it comes to our attitude towards Hamas, when you have you know the kind of statements that come out of of their leadership over the past uh many years you know whether it's regarding uh, you know their their support of uh you know the the freedom fighters of Osama bin Laden and the like uh you know I think it's a pretty clear cut thing but you know when it comes to you know the overall uh, American attitude toward the world I just, you know, think that it's very important that America be able to control its own destiny, uh, you know, uh, have the kind of global trade, the safe global trade that has made us as prosperous as we have, uh, and then be a reliable ally when it comes to uh, the, uh, the attitude we have towards our allies when they are attacked.
1: Dave, I want to push you on something really quickly. So when I listen to Ben talk, and I, and I hear you guys have this debate about Iran versus the U.S.'s funding of, 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 of terror, and I appreciate Ben's response. It depends on your definition of terror, or that's an important debate to have about your definition of terror. But I actually get your practical response as well, Dave, about, look, if you can look at any two sides of a war, there's a good chance American dollars are funding both sides of that. Of that war. But one thing I I noticed with you, Dave, is I feel like in some of your approach to this, and I say this humbly, Dave, and I want your honest responses, that you don't seem to distinguish between intentionality and accident. You know, like Ben's goal of having the United States kind of in charge of the world, I think lacks a certain level of humility. Um, That's my honest belief, Ben. I mean, can you actually control the world? But on the other hand, you know, whether or not it's, you know, civilian deaths in Gaza versus the rape and killing of children in Southern Israel, Israel or the the accidental incompetent funding of terror on various sides of a war versus the intentional Iranian funded terror across the world. I think that I feel like in, in this analysis often, Dave, you're not distinguishing between somebody intentionally inflicting acts of evil and those through their own lack of humility and incompetence stumble into acts of evil.
2: Well, I mean, it's not I, I do think there are areas where we can distinguish that. It's just that, in effect, they end up causing the same result, no matter what your intention is. And also, when we're presuming intentions about people, we're really kind of just playing a guessing game of trying to get inside of their head. I mean, I, I listen, the idea that every one of these wars that we've fought, let's say, over the last 20 years, um, and so you could count, obviously, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, Somalia, Yemen, we're now funding the proxy war in in Ukraine. I mean, there are think tanks who are funded by weapons companies who come up with policy papers on why we need to fight these wars. Now, am I supposed to just presume that this is all just an innocent mistake? And, of course, all of these people really want, you know, like Lockheed Martin just really believes in funding a think tank that says we need to buy another 200 billion dollars worth of weapons from Lockheed Martin. I don't know. Um, I'm looking at actions here and saying this is the result of these actions. So, by the way, I don't think there are cases where you're probably right, where there is there should be a separation of things that were, you know, um, Horrific things that happen due to incompetence versus maliciously rooting for those things even, to happen. But, but um But Dave, but I what don't about know the that current situation?
1: Well so what about the current situation? And we maybe in this situation we don't even we don't chalk it up to incompetence. Ben started out today saying it's really sad, but it's the byproduct of war. Civilian deaths will happen in Gaza. I think everyone has lamented and acknowledged that reality. But it won't be the it won't be the target. Of the Israeli military. They they won't. In fact, they will probably doing everything they can to limit that practical outcome, whereas it's not a moral equivalency to compare that. I don't think you've done this, Dave, but I mean, it's it's in no way comparable to what Hamas just did in southern Israel.
2: Well, this is a the the thing that you get whenever you talk about the um, the Israeli Palestinian conflict is that, and I think these are um I, 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 the Israeli side of this, and as I said, I've grown up immersed in it. They are have been unbelievably successful at. Repeating things often enough that everybody else kind of repeats them and framing the conversation in a way where, like, uh, that, that term that you just used, which I don't think I, you said I wasn't doing, but the moral equivalency thing gets right. thrown out all the time. If you just mention, you know, there's this term both siderism and moral equivalency, where if you even just mention any of the crimes that Israel's committed, they're like, oh, now you're doing moral equivalency. So you see the framing of this is we have to talk about this fair. conflict. But we can only well, talk about one side of the conflict. If we talk well, about the, the wait, other wait, wait, side at all uh, – well, hold on. Let me just finish this okay, point point, sure. then I'll, I'll be – here. but listen, I, I hear this said a lot that Israel would never target civilians and they do everything they can to not target civilians. This simply is not true. And I would, I would ask anyone who's listening to this who wants to ask, go Google mow the grass. Go listen to the Israeli military in their own words, what their uh what, what their strategy is here. You can look at Max Blumenthal who's done a lot of first hand reporting on this. There have absolutely been numerous instances where Israel has targeted civilians. And I'm sorry, but cutting off the food, water and medical supplies to one million children is targeting civilians. You understand that as you're bombing this place, children are going to be injured and now can't be treated. This is uh, it's a horrific uh, uh, targeting of civilians. So, again, I'm not saying it's the same thing as what Hamas just did. What Hamas just did was so much more primitive and brutal and barbaric. But Israel is doing something here, too, and to a much larger number of people. And I don't think it's fair to describe that as as doing everything they can to make sure that innocent civilians are not are not hurt.
0: Well, well first off, I let me just uh, put, put my little flag out there. I do not want to debate uh, the authority of Max Blumenthal, but I would take issue with his reporting. Um, but uh, put that aside, the the both sidesism thing, I think, let's let's look at it in a different context than Israel, just so that we can uh, have some determinant here of where it goes too far. When you had that first meeting between China uh, and the Biden administration in Alaska, and you saw the Chinese uh, authorities come into the room, their diplomats, and start sounding uh, no different than the progressive left, than BLM, than, you know, pick your group, in terms of their assault on American moral authority— uh in saying you know you say that we are a prison state you're a prison state you know you say that uh you know that you are you know that, that we are you know abusive toward our people you are abusive towards your people you know this kind of uh, using the argument that because uh you know America you know has uh you know its own approach internally that that equates to the real the, really the genocide of uh Uyghur Muslims and everything else that uh, China is engaged in internally it's it's just something that's it's just not uh, something that you can take with any seriousness and uh you know frankly it's the one aspect of these repeated arguments that we have within the foreign policy space that I find to be so objectionable and it, it you know returns me again to the old Daniel Patrick Moynihan quote, what, you know, addressing the UN, you know, am I ashamed to speak for a less than perfect democracy? No. Find me its equal. You know, and have we done terrible things he followed that up with? Yes. People read about them in the newspapers. And it's the sort of thing that I think is the difference between it's it's this moral equivalency game that I just don't think uh, is ever going to, to land with the American people. And I think it shouldn't because it's wrong.
2: Well, well yeah. I mean, look, it's obviously ridiculous for the CCP to be like, um, you know, criticizing us about our, you know, domestic I mean, they brought
0: up-, up kids in cages, like right. you know, that, that sort of thing, you know, it's yeah. Like-, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Sorry, so, like,
2: yeah, if you like, yes, progressives make a lot of dumb points and the CCP should not be trusted on, but this is what nations always do. I mean, uh, Joseph Stalin himself used to, uh, bring up, um, um, segregation, all the time and Mm -hmm. he would talk about you know like look how horrible these americans are to their black people in the south and really they're the oppressive state now all of us here could recognize okay that's pretty ridiculous for (laughs) joseph stalin to think that he could
0: but at the same time gulag archipelago yes (laughs) yes but at
2: the same time at least in many instances we could also recognize that like hey, you know what? Segregation was wrong. And he, mm-hmm. we were just handing him a talking point. And so, yes, like these other brutal authoritarian regimes, of course, are the biggest hypocrites in the world for criticizing us for that. But that doesn't mean that like, why Why would we want to hand them these talking points? And, and the truth is that, look, Americans, mainly because we got so gung ho after 9-11 that there were no cooler heads prevailed and because there are very corrupt influences within the military industrial complex, we fought wars all over the Middle East where millions of people have died as a result of this. And we don't have anything to show for all of it, uh, uh, except for 30,000 of our bravest young men putting bullets in their heads. So like, for the love of God, man, can we calm down and actually think this through before we commit to another war, which you had political leaders in America, the day the attack happens in Israel. It's not just enough to say like, this is horrible. My condolences, we stand with Israel, but it's like, we will fund you till the end. We are with you. We're going to level Palestine. Like, can we stop and think and, and to will point. The question that American political leaders should be asking is what is in the interest of America, the people who elected them and no, without as much as even explaining what that interest is. They're already gung ho about this. So, yes, China's hypocrites. Um progressives have a weird worldview where they get a lot of things wrong. But that doesn't mean that American foreign policy hasn't been a disaster over the last well, 20 years. And we well, should think about that. that. I'm
0: not saying that. In fact, I think I've said se- I think I've just you know laid out why I think that the the, the work of the foreign policy blob in D.C. has been so terrible um, and has not served America's interests. But but just to get back to that point. Talk to me about the difference between the critique that is leveled, you know, that I've heard from Ron Paul, that I've heard from so many people over the years, and what I hear from the progressive left, because it sounds very similar a lot of the time.
2: Yeah, but this is like a non-argument. Like, just because the progressives get a lot of things wrong doesn't mean they might not be right about one or two things. Look, the progressive left was warning you conservatives the, but, after— but the progressive Hold on, hold on, hold on but, let me just uh, finish just this to, point. Just
0: to give, use a different but, example, when, when Bernie Sanders says that health care costs too much, I agree. And then right. his answer to it is the worst possible answer. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. No, I okay, so I agree with you on that, Bernie Sanders. I completely agree with both of those things. Um. But look, it was progressive. Uh, progressives— and leftists who were the ones who were ringing the alarm about the Patriot Act and the creation of the Department of Homeland Security and the war in Iraq. And let me tell you something, conservatives, it doesn't it it would uh, it would suit you to, you know, take a scoop of humble pie and go now that right wingers are the targets of the Department of Homeland Security. Maybe they had a point. Maybe they were right about that. I'm not disagreeing with
0: you, but I do have to point out that the democratic party and the republican party were a hundred percent in lockstep and the american people were behind not just the iraq war but the creation but that, of but all But
1: that's of these always
0: entities.
2: the case today yes, first hold re- on really revising quick history
1: no, I'm not, I'm not today's claiming, point i
2: wasn't revising yeah. history i'm just telling you what happened the left oh, really quick really quickly things, right? you're right
1: let's bring this back in tight to dave's point um ben that is that is a scary moment where both the right and the left agree and the American populace jumps on in that fervor of a moment after 9-11 and signs up for a Patriot Act that is ultimately weaponized against the right. And here's what I would push back on you a little bit with, Ben. You know, you, you say that you can acknowledge the failures of the foreign policy establishment in the United States, but it doesn't seem to inspire much humility about the next action. It always seems to be this sort of... Um, this this therapy session of, yeah, we were wrong about our ability mm-hmm. to predict the outcomes of destabilizing Iraq, but it doesn't seem to provide much humility about what we're willing to do in Ukraine, or in this case, I don't know, the greater well, Middle I think, East.
0: But, well, but I, think, I think a big part of that, Will, is the fact that we still have the same people in charge. We have the same people in the same jobs or in even higher levels of authority than they were the last time around. And until we actually have... You know administrative change that leads look foreign policy but what about you, ben? I'm, I'm actually like, curious
1: in you because you yeah. you in this conversation admit some humility when looking in the rearview mirror but i don't hear a lot when looking in through the windshield
0: okay so one of the things that i think is very important is you know obviously uh, the difference that we have here when it comes to support for ukraine for instance is that you know from my perspective the the uh the consequences of putting american boots on the ground uh, raises everything in terms of the the level to which you have to have confidence in what you're doing. Funding Ukraine uh, in this war is funding, uh, you know. I think uh, an incomplete ally in a lot of in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, and uh, frankly, I'm my own attitude is that we ought to be funding them to the degree that we can focus on ending this war as soon as possible decrease the loss of life uh, come to a conclusion as quickly as possible but also come to a conclusion that you know frankly does not allow an adversary in Russia to get whatever they want and i think that unfortunately you know this this war is a messy one that has uh, gone on far too long uh, that the biden administration has kind of played this meandering game when it came to giving ukraine uh, what they needed in order to end it. Uh, And, you know, we, the the F-16s aren't going to even be on, you know, in the field of play for another six months at this rate, Um, you know, and we've got to teach the pilots English first. So it's one of the things that I think, you know, goes back to the idea of, You know, a lot of the times the the foreign policy establishment that we have, uh, you know, in this country, you know, operates through a domestic lens that doesn't necessarily put them in in a position that can actually reach the conclusion of these uh, types of conflicts as quickly as we would like. Uh, You know, in terms of the people who are in charge right now, though, again, I have to get back to that. We have the same group of people. I mean, you know, when Bob Gates, you know, Secretary of Defense, went out there and said, uh, you know, that Joe Biden has been wrong, has been on the wrong side of uh, virtually every foreign policy issue during his entire career. He wasn't wrong. And I think that that unfortunately we've put these same people back in those positions, you know, Victoria Newland and everybody else, you know, who's part of that blob establishment continues to operate. And, uh, yeah. you know, really, again, the only exception that we had to that was the Trump years, because you actually had some outsiders get in there uh, who could do something different. And frankly, and I, don't, I don't think to, you can make you know, that not point not
1: without it. acknowledging Dave's point of the constant presence of the military industrial complex. And it's, yeah, and but it's I also
0: I also think that's not going to go away anytime soon. I think that's an intractable problem. Well,
1: That's a problem um dave yeah. I, I want i want to press you on something now you know your point about sort of your you, you make almost a biblical point of like don't look at the speck in your neighbor's eye until you address the log in your own but i want to talk about the practical effect of that like you pointing out our moral failings here in the united states or as a proxy israel uh, and we can keep i don't it's kind of weird in this conversation how we 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 quickly switched talking about the united states which i wanted to anyway but it's almost like we use them as one and the same in this debate and and i don't consider them one and the same in this debate but but your point dave I wonder, are you making the argument that there are no good guys and bad guys? Like, are all civilizations equal in your mind? Or is pointing out the failings of one, what's the point? Is it an argument that we should be more perfect? Yeah, I think everyone agrees. We should strive for more perfection, but we're not going to achieve it. And we can't be paralyzed by our own imperfections in in looking at other civilizations that have not arrived at that similar level of moral, morality. And so, I, I mean, I feel like, Your point is well taken on so many of these, like, nobody can argue Israel is perfect. Nobody can argue the United States is perfect. But what do we do with that in the end? Do we sit here and go, there's no good guys and bad guys?
2: Well, I would say that um, y- typically speaking, no, there aren't usually good guys and bad guys. I think that's kind of like, you know, that's like an eight-year-old playing with his action figures. Dave Dave, that's a simplistic term. And that doesn't mean That's a that simplistic mean,
1: rhetorical term that I'm using, yes, but it, no, what it does ultimately well, is acknowledge not every culture and civilization is of equal progress.
2: Yes. Well, that's true. So that's obviously true, right? There are better guys and worse guys, and okay. so yes, there like there there are differences between different societies, and then within that spectrum, there are some there are some uh, uh, societies that are very horrible to their own people, but don't really do anything to anybody else, and then there are some that are fairly decent to their own people, but do really horrible things to other countries. So, like North Korea, for example, is brutally horrible. They basically are a giant slave nation to their own people but they don't really start too many foreign uh conflicts they're a very like internally focused uh nation
0: so i think i think our presence in south korea has a little something to do with that (laughs) uh, okay fine
2: fair enough but regardless yes there's a lot of different variables to it there but that that is the reality of the situation otherwise
0: that would all be north korea well let
2: me let me say this so my um My perspective, and I think this is where fundamentally me and Ben uh, disagree, and in in a sense, I guess I'm more of a conservative uh, than him in this sense, is that I don't think America's job is to run the world. I don't think we're supposed to be an empire. I believe we are supposed to be what our founders envisioned us as, which is a limited constitutional republic, a city on a hill, and that our job is to try to keep our people as free as possible and our government as limited as possible. And I don't believe I think the entire um, process, the entire entire experiment in trying to run the world is one that's doomed to fail. And I think there's a lot of examples of that of almost every time we've tried it. So I think that that my focus is always on what we could. So my focus is always on what we could do better. Now, if you want to look around the world at horrible things that are happening, it's the majority of the world. I mean, just brutality is the norm. Civilization is the exception. And so it is also kind of convenient how there are these certain pockets that we really care about and then other areas where it just doesn't get discussed at all. And there's we just kind of conveniently ignore all of that. And I'll say so many people who uh, you see on TV in the political class, in the media class, they are the greatest humanitarians ever when it comes to what Russia's doing to Ukraine or what Hamas is doing to Israel. But when it was us and Saudi Arabia doing far worse than that to Yemen... I didn't hear a peep out of any of these people. They very conveniently chose to not care about that. Yemen was the number one humanitarian crisis in the world for nearly a decade. Hundreds of thousands of children died of mal- malnutrition um, because of the Saudi-led war there that we were backing. And yet that doesn't seem to come up. So my point is not that there aren't better guys and worse guys or that we don't all do things wrong. Um, but I think that America ought to focus on making ourselves a more perfect union, and that should be our highest priority. I'm going like, to get well, you in course, here, Ben, but I just want to say that's only that,
1: exacerbated in my mind, Dave, by an even more egregious example of caring about these faraway causes. You're a humanitarian far from home, and at home we allow whatever we want to point to. I, I had a personal connection to seeing what happened in Maui, and I went very passionate about the federal and, and government response to that versus what I feel like is the overwhelming, like, yes, whatever you need, Ukraine, or the fentanyl deaths or the southern border and i don't think ben disagrees with any of that as well so i mean i really appreciate the point that you make and ben i know you want to jump in go ahead ben
0: so so first off i don't think that those are Two different things necessarily. Part of being a more perfect union, I think, requires us uh, to take interest at things that are, frankly, beyond our borders. You know, the the border issue itself on our southern border, you know, requires us to care about the activity of the cartels that effectively run the entire region that is a stone's throw away. So I don't I don't think that that's uh, something that's necessarily in conflict. But just to return to the point that you you sort of turn this into an argument that sounds more Wilsonian. Uh, than What I actually was saying and what I actually believe, which is that America should be in charge. That doesn't mean we need to run the world or be con- in control of every corner. But it does mean that, uh, you know, I have a Hamiltonian perspective on this, that uh, global trade is something that has made us an incredibly prosperous nat- nation, the envy of the world. Uh, and that's something that we need to defend and be in charge of and that it would be in, not in America's interest, not in America first interest to have a nation like China be in charge of it, which is what they want to do. And frankly, their expansionist policies are designed to allow them to do that. One other thing that I think is is very important here, though, is to respect that the American people are not where you are or where I am. Um, you know, you are giving a kind of Jeffersonian, you know, argument, you know, or, or however you would like to describe it, um, that's more internally focused. Uh, and I think the American people Tend to be more Jacksonian, you know, in the Walter Russell Mead frame of things, where they really don't pay attention to foreign policy until someone gets hit uh, or until they get punched in the face in some uh, aspect, and then their immediate reaction is to s- turn around and be George W. Bush with the bullhorn, you know, on the wreckage, and and say we're going to, you know, make sure that everyone hears us. Uh, we're going to go out and we're going to kill as many people as as we need to in order to send that message. And so I think that that's something that we should have a little bit of humility about in terms of the, the natural tendency of the American people. Uh, I don't want us to be Wilsonians. I don't want us to be trying to remake the cultures of people around the world. You know, the fact is that, you know, on some level, I do believe that most humans want to be free, but there are a lot of people who have other priorities other than being free. Some people, you know, are are just, you know, not, uh, it's in the, in the hierarchy of their, their needs. That's not something that they put but you know, at, at the most prominent place, and what I see right now uh, is a Western world that is increasingly, you know, hemmed in in so many different ways, and it's not just you know in what's happening in the South China Sea or what's happening in Ukraine uh, or what we see happening uh, in the Middle East. It's also, you know, frankly, in in Africa where we have, you know, uh, pleasant sounding terms like the coup belt, you know, and uh, and we see the kind of situation where China's building bases and Russian mercenaries are operating like uh, like warlords in all these different places. I'm not Asking us to go to war in all of those places uh, in order to effect some end. But I am saying that there are things that need to be done, whether diplomatically through soft power or through, you know, uh, the kind of, of, you know, targeted support, uh, providing air cover for our allies and other things uh, that I think is necessary in order to push back against what we're seeing as a very negative trend line in terms of activity toward the West.
1: You know, I love all those framings. I love huh. Hamiltonian versus Jeffersonian versus Jacksonian <laughs> framing of this. And I think that sounds yeah, in reasonable. At first I thought
2: and, you were saying I was being Wilsonian and I was like, We're gonna fist fight if that's a <laughs> no, thing. No, Dave, <that>. <laughs> no, no uh, <laughs> that, would
1: but, be, uh, that would be uh, that would be I um, no, like no, You were I got it, you I, got or, it or, got I called it him with so, Wilsonian. Uh, one of us did. But <laughs> I liked his Here's 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 the and Dave, I wanna give you some room and space before we have to leave today because I know that one of the things you wanted to go into was sort of the deep historical background of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I I, I don't know, know how it informs either Israel's response today or how we view what happened over the weekend, but I know that that context or history is important to you, Dave.
2: Yeah, well, I do just real, real quickly and then I'll, I'll address that. But just to, I, I, my response to kind of to what Ben was saying there, and I think this is along the point that you were making, Will, is that, look, the, um, the the reality of the situation is that resources are finite. And so it is a question of what we do with these resources, whether we send them to Ukraine or whether they're left here in our own society. And governments can only governments have three ways of of uh, raising funds. They tax the population they borrow the money or they print the money. That's it. That's how government gets its money. All of those are essentially taxing the people. Because when you print the money, you devalue the currency. When you borrow the money, you're just promising that future generations are going to pay it in taxes. It's basically that's how governments get their money. (laughs) They they, they tax from the citizenry. And while we have all of these problems going on here, look, the the last three plus years, in America have been three of the roughest years in modern American history. And while this is all happening, while every major city in our country is falling to pieces, we're concerned with making sure that we fund every faraway part of the world while we're 30 plus trillion dollars in debt. And I would also suggest that this, this, uh, the, the fear, there's always these kind of like counterfactuals that, um, but that come up like, oh, if we don't support the war in Ukraine, then Vladimir Putin takes over Poland or something like that. Or, or if we don't, if we're not the empire, if we're, uh, however you put it, if we're not in charge of the whole world, then China's in charge of the whole world. But the truth is that we are still a far richer country than China, and we're going bankrupt trying to run the world. I see no evidence that China's going to be able to do it. China, by the way, also has lots of hostile neighbors right around them in their own region. Um, so uh, my point is just that th- this we, we are destroying ourselves right now. And I think deep inside the soul of the American people, people know this, this country is in real trouble right now, and we've got to have some type of radical shift here. And I agree with Ben a lot when he talks about where the American people are at. Yeah, the American people were behind George W. Bush after 9-11. He had the highest approval ratings, I believe, in, in the history of approval ratings. Yeah. But look at what a disaster that was. So I, I see it as as the, the role is for cooler heads to try to prevail and try as best they can to persuade the American people. That we need to stop doing this. We are so overextended as a government right now. We're verging on collapse. Our currency is being destroyed. Our country is totally bankrupt. And the average American has to, if they had an emergency of $1,000, has to go to their credit card for it. We're, we're in serious trouble as a country and we're worried about how right. we're going to help everybody else in the world. It's, it's like this is madness. Um, and look, in terms of ben, the history of. Well, before, of Israel, before you go into the history. Sure, sure. Be-
1: I'm going to allow you to do that, but I don't want to let Ben respond. I I just want to
0: the the one pushback that I would give to you just briefly. And I think, you know, we're wrapping up here. We're getting to the end. But I could go we could have a whole other separate conversation about this. I would return to the idea that that was a, a lot of what people were saying in the in the 1970s. It's what they were saying about the context of our conflict with the Soviet Union, that we couldn't be, you know, funding the kind of weapons buildup or anything like that related to the Cold War, that we had to accept the inevitability of their persistence. Uh, And that was something that Ronald Reagan and H.W. Bush rejected. That type of Kissingerian approach was something that they rejected within the context of the right, and they were called extremists at the time. And that's the whole reason that the Berlin Wall came down within the next decade. And that, I think, is something that we have to consider within our own current context. I'm not saying that things aren't terrible domestically in so many different ways, particularly, as you mentioned, within our cities. But I think that those are That's a situation where we have to address it and we have to be able to do the other things too. We have to support our allies around the world where they need it. And I think that we have to, you know, invest and support our communities here at home where they need it too. Agreed. I mean to the point of the larger context.
2: Okay, can I? but just very quickly, I'm sorry because this just interests me so much, but one of the lessons of the Soviet Union also is like, why did they collapse? And they collapsed because they had an economy that was completely run by their central government and they got into a stupid war in Afghanistan that completely drained all of their resources. So maybe as we sit here right now with the largest government in the history of the world and we've coming off of 20 years of stupid wars that have totally bankrupted us, maybe there's a lesson in there uh, for us about what we should do, which would be to return home and be as free market capitalists as we possibly can. I'll I, just love, say, I love so every aspect of this time, debate.
1: And I just, yes. for the record, because of our limited time for the audience, Ben put a lid on our conversation at one hour. He has to yes. go get his daughter. And so I'm afraid that Dave will filibuster himself out of his point, his opportunity to make his larger historical point. <laughs> okay. I
0: take
2: I take total uh, responsibility for filibustering myself out of this. Um, but yes, I don't want to leave Ben's daughter sitting there like, is my dad arguing about the Cold War right now and not uh, picking me up? So I, <laughs> I, I, I will just say- She's three um, years old i haven't taught her about the cold war yet <laughs> she's ready i'll tell my daughter's about to be five and i'll tell you i four four is about when you want to start in my experience that's okay. when that's when they really start to get it no listen i, w- I would just say that um because we, we don't really have time to get too deep into it at this point but look the truth is that the in in the entire history of of uh israel and palestine going back to to 19 uh, the late 1940s there. There have been atrocities committed by both sides and that might trigger somebody to say you're doing both-siderisms or whatever but that is the truth and this is why the, this situation has been so uh violent and unsustainable up to this point but right now what we have is calls for uh from the head of the Israeli military for a Nakbar uh two we have calls to flatten Gaza the rhetoric the, obviously people like to talk about the rhetoric of Hamas which is totally unacceptable and over the top and evil but the rhetoric coming out of Israel right now is is also really horrible and if we don't want to continue to see events like this on into the future there there has to at some point be an ability and I think it's going to require new leadership on both sides there has to be an ability to to try to rise above this and come to an actual solution where peace can be pursued, and that is what I think all Americans should be rooting for and to any extent that Americans get involved and this is what I feel like with Ukraine with Israel to any extent if America gets involved, it should be pushing diplomacy, negotiations, and pushing peace, not saying we will endlessly fund one side of this war so that's that's what i'll I'll end with.
1: Yeah. You know, I'll just say this, Ben, I want to get your response, but where we started this conversation, you know, maybe maybe Dave just changed the outcome a bit there with that last answer, but you guys weren't far apart. I mean, I think that we have some some deep divides on the way or the role of... Of, of America and the world, but both of you basically started this conversation with the idea that there is an appropriate response from Israel, military response, setting aside the political debate we had about Netanyahu, but there is an appropriate military response by Israel in Gaza, and the response you both wish and hope will be as limited as possible, and that's very, that carries a lot of weight, as limited as possible, uh, death of civilians in Gaza,
0: Look, uh, I mean, civilian death is unfortunately just going to happen here. It's going to happen because of uh, this is a place where lots of people live, uh, and uh, and the you know the humanitarian side of this is not something that we should deny or ignore. But the consequences that for Gaza of uh, this uh, invasive action that resulted in the deaths of an enormous number of of israeli civilians uh, is going to have a response and it's going to be very deadly very bloody and we have an ally in israel that i believe that we should back and there will be a time uh, i hope uh, where there can be a degree of peace achieved uh, but the simple fact is that you know i mean it's a it's a it's a meme but if if israel stopped fighting they would be exterminated and that's something that we need to understand about this entire situation. If they just uh, laid down their arms and, and, you know, became this kind of, you know, fanciful uh, thing that I think a lot of the progressives, I'm not saying that, that Dave wants this, but a lot of the progressive left kind of frames this as, uh, then they would be exterminated. And I don't think that we should pretend uh, otherwise or have any misgivings about saying that. Um, I believe that we will back Israel. I believe the American people are going to stand with Israel uh, during this moment. And uh, and how this concludes, I hope it concludes with the least amount of civilian death possible. But it is inevitably going to happen.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with I I think we all agree on that. It's 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 a matter of, of possibility, Dave. I mean, Hamas buried in a civilian population, urban population, underground bunkers, human shields. I, mean, I don't. I mean, it's going to be horrific, and I don't even know how Israel threads that needle in a way that doesn't spiral into increased violence. Well,
2: it doesn't seem, at least from their initial uh, response, that they're doing much attempting to uh, to thread that needle. But yes, it's a, it's a very difficult situation. I think Ben is absolutely right when he says that Hamas just um, sentenced their own people to just... Uh, an excruciating amount of, of violence um, and that their their actions have uh, all but guaranteed just enormous um, death of, of innocent Palestinians. That being said, I, I would hope that Israel would keep in mind and I'd hope America would learn the lesson that you know the entire point of terrorism is to provoke a reaction. That is the point. The Osama bin Laden never thought that taking down the Twin Towers was going to bankrupt America, but he thought that the response to him taking down the Twin Towers could bankrupt America. And this is what the CIA helped train him to do to the Soviet Union. And this is what he was attempting to do uh, to us. And of course, we fell right into the trap with two 20-year catastrophe wars. And I think what Israel, I, I hope that Israel would understand the true risk to them right now. I mean, when they talk about leveling Gaza and and destroying, you know, an area that has a million children in it, I know it hasn't. I know other uh, Arab countries haven't invaded Israel since 1967, but this also hasn't happened. And if they really do take it to that level, they might be putting their own existence in jeopardy. This is the point of terrorists, right? This is the point. Hamas doesn't care that innocent civilians are going to die in Gaza. In fact, they're attempting to provoke that reaction. They're attempting to provoke this overreaction so then they can rally other people to their cause. And it would be, it would behoove America and Israel to think about that.
1: Yeah. Last word you Ben.
0: Uh, I just I appreciate the fact that we've had this conversation. I do think that, you know, the, the simple truth is that when it comes to a lot of the foreign policy debates that we have in America, they are nonexistent. The foreign policy blob that runs Washington, like I've said, you know, throughout this conversation, you know, and has run it effectively for the past uh, more than two decades, really, uh, is is really a huge problem. And the the think tank, hand in glove, you know, uh, weapons manufacturer backed kind of uh, white papers that Dave uh, talks about are also a huge problem. But that doesn't mean that America doesn't have an important role to play when it comes to not just, you know, global stability, but I think making sure that we have the kind of of, of support, not just uh, for our allies when they need it, uh, but for, you know, frankly, uh, the West as a whole, uh, which, as I said before, is increasingly encircled by a number of threats that have been woefully ignored uh, as we've been distracted by, I think, a lot of, of conflicts that, frankly, we should not have participated in. Uh, so, right, guys. you know, look. There's some areas where we're going to agree, but but I just think that America's role is not going to be able to just come back home, focus internally uh, in the way that I think that Dave would, would like, uh, and I think that that's because those threats still exist.
1: All right. I don't know what we resolved, but I hope that we have enlightened. And I can't tell you how much I respect both of you for doing this and how much I appreciate you doing it on this show. I hope you don't go fight on Twitter because I think this is a better world than what we see on Twitter, what we just saw here for the past hour. But you'll do what you do. Uh, Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. But this right here, whether or not it's enlightening or it resolves any of our issues, I actually think it's incredibly healthy. And I appreciate you guys for it. Thank you, all. Thank you both. There you go. I hope you enjoyed that debate. Between Dave Smith and Ben Dominich. I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear your response, where you agreed, where you disagreed, who you thought won, at Podcast at Fox.com. Again, you can check out Dave at the Part of the Problem Podcast as well as his thirty minute specials on YouTube. And you can check out the Transom newsletter, a substack, as well as the Spectator and the Ben Dominich podcast for more from Ben Dominich. I hope you enjoyed this edition, the special edition of the Will Kane podcast, and I will see you again next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple podcast and Amazon prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon music app.